Let's get ready to rumble. I wanted to do something different. I don't even know if that's that sounded stupid or not. But how's it going? My name is Shane Hubbard. I am the creator of the Barbells and Burgers podcast. And that whole intro being different totally threw me off. Like I usually have such a groove, but I wanted to be different and try something else out. I'm embarrassing myself. Let's just get on with today's topic. Today, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about the fundamental or the foundational pillars of fat loss. We're going to go into a deep dive of what actually matters when it comes to fat loss and what actually matters because I think that there's a lot of information out there, as you already know, and it can be be very easy to get lost in all of it. And, and not only that, but once you know it, or at least you have a grasp on it, trying to manage it all could be a real pain in the ass. So I want to help create more of a focus for you. I want you to, to understand the priority of some of the things that it takes to lose weight. All right. And I think by organizing the priority, you can always take a step back and, you know, for instance, let's say you're not hitting your, your protein goal a hundred percent. You can take a step back and look at some of the other things that are really important for losing weight and feel good about those. Cause I think what can happen to a lot of people, and this is something that I've noticed just being a coach is that I'll give my clients a goal. And I used to do this very poorly because I really didn't know I was a new coach. I didn't really know what was going to work best. But now that I've learned, I used to give my clients multiple things to focus on. And in some cases, some people would have absolutely no problem with that. They'd be able to hit those things. For others, though, it was like trying to juggle three different items or obst- uh, objects at a time. And they didn't even know how to juggle one at a time. So I started to learn that for some people, one thing is enough. And for others, multiple things is doable. So I want you to think of healthy habits and things that you're trying to do to improve your health like juggling, all right? If you can't juggle one thing, you can't juggle three things, okay? At least that I'm aware of. I don't know anyone that's made the step from not being able to juggle at all to juggling three things. It's a progressional step. And I'm going to help organize the importance of what you need to focus on. So number one and number two there's, there's five total things, and there's other things that can be a part of this, but these are the five most important things, all right? And I will say that one and two are the topmost, like they should always be a priority. And then the other ones sort of fall into place once you get the first two down. So think of it like a house, right? You can't build a second story without a first story, and that's how you have to think about number one and number two, all right? So before we get started into the actual topics today or the subtopic, I want to make a quick little announcement and say thank you to everyone who has recently and for everyone period who has given a review of the podcast. I am extremely grateful. It, it makes me happy to know that you're getting value out of this because yes, I do like to talk to myself as you can notice, but I always do it with the intent that I'm actually helping. And so if I can actually help you, it makes worth it makes it worth talking to myself in my office and and, and putting out this podcast. So thank you. Excuse me. There was one thing I wanted to address. Um, I don't know who this person is, but they had mentioned that um, there are moments where I use, you know, colorful four letter words. I'm doing my best to label some of these podcasts as explicit so that you can at least be aware of them. But one of the things I'm going to start doing just so there's an added level of that is 
tell you whether or not my intent is to use special colorful four-letter words. I typically try not to cuss unless I'm really passionate about something. That's just my nature. I'm not I'm not trying to suppress my cussing because I want to appease anyone. I just I typically don't really cuss unless I get passionate. So what I'll start to do is when I when I see that there's a topic that's going to be passionate, I'll make sure that I mention that there's going to be some fun four-letter words, all right? And I'll even do my best to mention it, um, you know, before I, I, I get into something specific like that. Because I do realize a lot of the people that listen to my podcast have kids, and they're probably present right now, especially right now, because no kid is in school as, at the moment. So it can be difficult to listen to a podcast, you know, on a speaker in the car where you might normally listen to it if there's cussing involved. So I understand that, and I obviously want you to get the information you need without having to constantly be on the alert of, oh, is he going to say, you know, a cuss word around my kids, so to speak. So, so, to speak. so anyway, uh, that being addressed, let's go ahead and jump into the very first topic. I'd like to preface everything I'm about to say in, in, in the frame of mind that while there's certain things that do take a priority over others when it comes to losing fat, it all works as a dynamic system. So number four can affect number two, and number two can affect number four, and number five can affect number one, and so on and so forth. So it's not that they work in a linear fashion. It's just that if we're going to prioritize what's most important, it's good to know that because if you can do that, you can understand what your main focus should be at all times and then make a judgment call on your own whether you're ready to take on a new habit. Okay. All right. So part number one of the foundational principles or foundational pillars of fat loss is total calorie intake as it relates also to total calorie output. Okay. Now I'm going to focus on total calorie intake primarily in this first topic and then kind of hint at total calorie output because total calorie intake is going to be a lot easier to manage. It also works in your favor to focus more of your attention and energy on total calorie intake than total calorie output, okay? There are a lot of things you can do to control how many calories you burn. But on average, it's a lot easier to control how many calories you consume than how many calories you uh, put out through you know exercise and other things that we'll talk about today, okay? So... Whenever I'm starting somebody off, so I'll speak a lot of times in, in terms of me working with a client, okay? So I have a client who comes to me, and, and I would say 90% of the people that come to me want to lose weight, and I'm happy to say that a lot of them want to do it in a very healthy manner because I really am only interested in coaching people that have that understanding. They might not have that experience, but they have that understanding that they want to do it in a slower manner. That's just my preference as a coach. Okay, you can lose fat very quickly, but you have to have a plan for once you lose the weight very quickly, what you do to maintain it because you can very easily put it back on. So I'll have a client come to me and the first thing that I go over with them, because we spend a lot of time talking about what's important and understanding and, and helping them understand him or her understand what their priority needs to be. Okay, because when someone comes to me for help, they don't come to me for information. I mean, a lot of times they do, but there's a ton of information, right? What coaching helps you do 
is take all that information and filter out the nonsense and have a very clear picture of what's actually important, what to focus on, okay? So when it comes to total calorie intake, what you're trying to do at all times when you're trying to lose weight is you're trying to find your calorie deficit, and we'll, we'll reiterate what that means in a minute, and then try to eat to that calorie amount about 80 to 90% of the time. Okay, nobody's perfect, and I, I really don't expect anyone to ever be perfect, all right? And you can get away with a, you know, a day or two of not being in a calorie deficit and still see results. So in order to do that, you have to consume a certain amount of calories under a certain amount of calories that you burn. Now, it's hard to tell on both sides of the spectrum how many calories you burn a day and how many calories you eat a day, okay? How many calories you burn a day is going to you know, change wildly, but there's some general rules of thumb or some general guidelines for making this an easier process. And you figure that out, you know, or I figure that out, excuse me, with my clients when they first come to me, you know, I ask them how active they are. We do some basic, you know, information about their height, their weight, um, their muscle to fat ratio, simple things like that. And then I do my best to take that information and create a estimated calorie Uh, amount to keep their weight the same, which is also known as a calorie maintenance. And then what we do from there is we create a deficit by subtracting a certain amount of calories from that maintenance. And then I say, okay, for one to two weeks, depending on the kind of results we get in that time, I want you to eat to this calorie amount. So slightly below it or maybe slightly above it, because again, we're just estimating. And we do that for one to two weeks and we see sort of how the the person is reacting, or I see sort of how my client is reacting to that, both from, and not just from a weight loss standpoint either. It's, it's also from a, how are they managing the the process is, is what they're doing too much for them to handle all at once. Do I need to break it down more? And so there's lots of things that go into the coaching process, which I could spend an entire episode talking about. But anyway, the number one priority is your calorie intake against your calorie output. And we'll keep it simple by just saying your total calorie intake because that's what we're focusing on controlling right now. Now, when I say that, that total calories are the only thing that matters or at least is the top priority, it can be sort of confusing because you might think, okay, well, does the quality of my calories matter too? Not just the quantity of my calories? And the answer is yes. But if we're looking through the scope of weight loss... You can, so long as you have your calorie quantity managed and you're in a calorie deficit, which we talked about a second ago, it doesn't matter what those calories are comprised of. Okay, again, just focusing on weight loss, the quality of those calories when controlled for, so you're eating less than you burn, does not matter. Okay. Now I want you to understand this because a lot of times what you will get are nutrition and fitness professionals who sort of have a one track mind who say that you should always eat healthy foods or that you should, you know, they'll even go as far as to say that organic is better than commercial grade foods because of, uh, you know, hormones and things like that. Okay. We can have a side argument about that. 
in relation to everything that goes on. Because again, health is dynamic. It's not just one size fits all. Everything works together. But again, if we're just looking at weight loss and the only thing that we care about is losing weight, which I don't think is important because again, it's a dynamic process, but just for the sake of argument, the only thing that's important is weight loss. The quantity of your calories is what matters, not the quality. Okay. Now, the reason why understanding this is important is because you'll have certain people in health and fitness who say you should eat things like, you know, nuts and, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables and all this stuff, which is great. I totally recommend that. If it's in the Whole Foods family, I totally recommend that. But if there isn't a little bit more context, you can very well eat healthy foods and still gain or or only maintain your weight. So if your goal is to lose weight, you're eating healthy food, but you're not losing weight. Okay, so how does that help me at that point? You might look at that person who said, oh yeah, eat as much nuts as you want. I don't know if there's anyone saying that, but just because a food is healthy doesn't mean it's going to help you lose weight. Right? Because calories in versus calories out is what determines whether or not you're going to lose weight in the form of fat or gain weight in the form of fat. So the first priority is quantity of calories. And I don't care how you're tracking that. You could be tracking that on an app. You could be tracking that based on uh, portion recommendations from, you know, like the the visual uh, portion recommendations, using your hand as a guide for understanding what a portion looks like based on the type of food you're consuming. So again, I don't care if you're eating healthy foods. If your goal is to lose weight, you have to manage those calories just like everything else. A food being healthy does not... What's the right word? A food being healthy does not supersede the worth of its calories or the amount of its calories. That's a very important thing to understand. There is a, it wasn't a traditional study, but there was an experiment that a nutrition professor at, I believe it was the Kansas State or Kansas City University. I'm going to probably butcher where he actually taught. His name was Mark Hubb or Haub. And what he did to prove to his students that calories were the the single most important thing for weight loss, if, if nothing else was considered, he ate Hostess cakes and other products by Hostess, so basically just a ton of processed food, counted his calories, and he did that for three months, and he lost 30 pounds. And the point he was trying to make was, If we're going to focus on the single most influential act that you can take, that you can carry out for losing weight, it is calories in versus calories out. Okay. So when I'm working with a client, the very first thing that I teach them is how to track what they're eating. Right now, we don't worry about every single calorie they consume. I teach them how to track appropriately, how to spend their time tracking, and what's the most important foods to track. I don't care if they track their cucumbers or their onions that they eat, all right? Onions, for the volume that you're getting them, have calories that are pretty much 
useless for counting. They're not going to be the reason you overeat. Okay, the reason you overeat are going to be those processed foods that you could eat 500 calories and barely feel a dent in your satiety and your fullness. But if you were to try to do the same thing with something like a broccoli, you know, stock or, or green beans or cauliflower, best of luck to you. You're going to get sick of that food before you can even get to the calorie amount that it would really matter to push you over the edge. So I don't require my clients to count certain types of vegetables because you're just, you're just going to spend your entire life counting the broccoli that's not doing anything to put you over, put your weight over the scale. So anyway, kind of backtracking to that calories is the most important thing to, to get good first. So if they don't have any experience tracking calories or at least tracking food and the relationship between quantities of food and calorie density. All right. So how many calories are in that food per serving? Okay. That's education. That's what's important. All right. Yes, I could very easily just tell someone, follow this calorie amount and hope for the best. But I think it's important to give them context, but also give them more of an understanding. Because as much as losing weight is a physical process, it's a psychological path. The path to losing weight takes a lot of psychology. It, it takes a lot of information and education as well, but it also ha it has a lot to do with having the right psychology because having the right psychology is like the foundation of a house. Your psychology affects your behavior and obviously your beha behavior is what affects, you know, future behaviors. And sometimes you can get in a, you can have a bad habit that you're just, you've just repeated over and over without a lot of consciousness, or at least not a lot of effort to reverse that uh, behavior. And, you know, you get into sort of a rut. So at the very least, if you can't do anything else, manage the amount of calories you're consuming. Okay. You can think about protein and carbs and fats all later, but if you can think of your calorie intake like an umbrella, and you can keep your calories underneath that umbrella, or at least on par with that umbrella, then you're going to have a much easier time managing your weight. One of the reasons why people that go on a meal plan lose weight, have success, and then gain weight back is because there's no education there. There's no understanding as to what's going on. If I just give you a bunch of foods that you can and cannot eat, absolutely you're going to lose weight. There's nothing magical about those foods. I just dramatically cut out a huge portion of calories because trying to eat the amount of broccoli in terms of calories that you would find in like a bag of chips is impossible. I shouldn't say impossible. That's, that's not the right word. Is extremely difficult. And if you're up for the challenge, be my guest. It's going to be miserable. I can tell you that right off the bat. So total calorie intake is the single most foundational principle for losing weight or gaining weight. Now, we talked in a, in a past episode about the difference between calorie density in certain foods and other foods. So you physically might look at a plate of food and go, that's a lot of food. But unless you understand the calorie density of that food, you can't really tell how many calories that food has. If I gave you an entire bowl of green beans, 
you might say, wow, that's a lot of food. And you might automatically assume it has a lot of calories because we think that volume of food equates to calorie density or volume of calories. But that's not the case. Vegetables, especially low carb vegetables, are mostly water and fiber. They do have some calories in them, usually in the form of carbohydrates and in some proteins in some and, and maybe some fats and others. But the majority of the time, it's water and fiber. So they're not going to have a lot of calories per volume. You take something like peanut butter, and I always pick on peanut butter. I love peanut butter, by the way. I'm not a, uh, I'm not someone who thinks that you should not eat peanut butter. It's just a great example of a food that for a tablespoon's amount, which is not a lot in terms of a physical amount, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 190 to 200 calories. For some people, that's half a meal in a tablespoon's worth of food. So calorie intake is the most important thing to do. So when I'm working, you know, kind of bringing it back to real life, when I'm working with a client, the very first thing we worry about or that we focus on, worry is not a good word, that we focus on is total calorie intake. Yes, it would be awesome to also focus on protein and then figure out a good ratio of carbs and fats, but it's not the most important thing to start with. The most important thing to start with is you need to focus on how many calories you're consuming. And I can tell you with extreme confidence that just by managing or tracking your calories, you will automatically cut calories out because one of the biggest roadblocks to losing weight is not being mindful of the amount of calories you're consuming. Our eyes are not great determinants of how many calories a food has because, again, we're going off of the physical representation of that food. And that's not always a very accurate way of determining how many calories a food has. Okay, so the single most important thing is calorie intake. If you, can, if you can't focus on anything other than that, start there and then you'll start to see improvements. Okay. All right, we're going to move on to number two now. Now, number two might actually be a surprise to you. Okay, You might think that I'm going to pick something that I've already talked about in the past, but I'm actually not. Number two is sleep. Okay, And you might think, well, what, what does sleep have to do with anything? I'm going to use this little, it's not really an analogy. I'm going to use this example, this interactive example to help you understand just how important sleep is. I want you to think back to the last time that you got the least amount of sleep in a night, be it two, three, four hours, doesn't matter. If you can remember that, I want you to try to also remember how miserable the next day was. Okay, You're not motivated to do anything. You're in a bad mood. Exercise? You got to be kidding me. I'm having a hard enough time standing upright. Your appetite you probably, maybe you did or didn't notice, but studies will show that appetite is are greatly affected by sleep. Your likelihood to resist pleasurable yet completely unnutritious food goes way down, meaning that you could have a bowl of cookies and you could have a nice, healthy, nutritious, and tasty meal. And you're not even going to think, you're not even going to notice that, that healthy meals, they're going to go straight for the cookies. So the reason why sleep is so important if we're, if we're th- focusing on how it affects the scope of weight loss is that it affects every single behavior that helps with the continuing process 
of doing things that help you lose weight, right? If you can't, if you don't sleep well, your likelihood to exercise goes down probably at least 70%, I would imagine. Now, I don't know if that's a hard fact. I'm using examples from coaching and I'm using my own examples from nights where I don't sleep at all and what I do the next day and how many times that has happened. So I can think back to all the times that I had really poor sleep. I can tell you 100% that my eating behavior completely changed and my exercise or my activity dramatically dropped. And I've seen the same with clients. I worked with a woman one time who was averaging about four hours of nights, a night, uh, four hours of sleep a night. And she was going through a very difficult time in her life. Her um, mother-in-law was, uh, was dying, essentially. And they would get calls in the middle of the night, and they would have to go visit her. And she's two hours away. So sometimes they wouldn't sleep at all you know, you know, for, for a couple times a week because of this, this happening. And, um, you know, as a result, I, I told her, I said, okay, we're going to change your workout program. The only thing I want you to do is to just try to go for walks. And I want you to just be mindful of your eating. All right. I'm going to teach you some things that you can use during this time where you don't have to use as much willpower or discipline or determination because you don't have that much right now. And we're going to have to try to work with that. And part of not getting enough sleep is the person's responsibility, but sometimes life happens. You're not always going to have control over everything. Sometimes you have to go through certain periods where life is just life. And if you struggle with sleep and you're diligently working towards trying to improve it and it's not improving at the rate that you think it should, give yourself a little bit of grace. The fact that you're working on it at all makes a huge difference. If the things that affect your sleep are permanent, meaning something like a job or, well, I mean, a job would probably be the best example. Let's just go with that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, go get a different job, right? You probably already realized that would be a good idea or maybe a good um, you know, way of going about it, but that doesn't happen overnight. So I'm not saying that you can't lose weight if you aren't sleeping well enough, but I am going to tell you that it affects things like your blood sugar, it affects decision making, and it affects exercise. It can very well affect total calorie intake. So it's super, super important. It's a foundation of a healthy life. So I say that to make sure you understand the importance of sleep beyond the scope of just having energy through the day. Okay. It also affects the quality of your life. If you work really hard, but you don't recover the same or, you know, some around the same level of recovery, you're going to have a hard time progressing in anything that you do. And you're going to be shooting yourself in the foot repetitively and making weight loss a lot harder unless you take sleep seriously. I didn't take sleep seriously for the longest time. I still remember when I learned just how important sleep was from a mentor of mine, Paul Check. I read his book, How to Move, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. And he, I don't know if he recommended a exercise in that book or if I just took it upon myself to try it out, but he was saying that basically you have different sleep cycles and those sleep cycles have different responsibilities in terms of repair. So if I remember correctly, between 10 and 10 p.m. and midnight, 
your body is going through physical repairs, right? It's, it's repairing your body physically. Between midnight and 4 a.m., or maybe it was 5 a.m., I think it's 4 a.m., your body is making mental repairs. So repairs to your brain, or it's cleaning out the gunk in your brain, because believe it or not, you do have waste products as a result of just being a human being in the world and being exposed to your environment that do accumulate in your brain. In fact, um, if you listen to the, or listen to or read the book, um, I forget the title of it, but it's by Matthew Walker. He was on Joe Rogan. Um, If you just type Matthew Walker sleep on YouTube, you can find some really good information. But basically he talks about um, the fact that they have found that the, um, the element that causes Alzheimer's is it builds up in the brain. All right. And that's what causes, causes Alzheimer's. Well, the thing that helps you clear that element out, and I forget the scientific name for it, so I'm just doing my best to like, at least just to get through this story, but sleep helps wash that out or clean that out. So think of it like if you were to take your trash out every day because it was full, right? That would be, you know, you would clean things out at a pretty, at the rate that you're wasting, you're also eliminating. Well, if you don't get enough sleep, it's like putting stuff in your house trash and letting letting it pile up until it starts not only stinking, but it starts infecting your house. And then, you know, maybe you only take it out every three weeks. So you just got garbage in your house all the time. When you don't sleep, it's like just letting the garbage pile up in your house. Okay. So that's more on the health end of things. But also when it comes to weight loss, it affects the behaviors that help you lose weight. All right. If you're not exercising, if you're making poor nutrition choices all the time because you don't have enough um, reparative cognition to make better choices and have a little bit extra willpower and discipline, you're going to have a really hard time with staying under your calorie amount. Now, you could do it. I'm not saying it's impossible, but as a sustainable practice over time, it's going to be very difficult to always eat processed food and stay under your calorie totals, especially if you're also not exercising. Because if you're not exercising because you you have poor sleep, then your calorie output isn't really doing that well. And on the health end of things, you're also not gonna be a very healthy individual, okay? Again, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but if you can get between, like for instance, I think the recommendation from um, that book that Matthew Walker wrote it was seven to nine hours of sleep. Now, I'd be a hypocrite if I said that I got that every single night, but I'd always shoot for at least seven hours of sleep. I don't always get it, but it's always my goal. I try to do what I can to have sleep hygiene, right? Meaning that I try to try to go to bed at a reasonable hour. I try to stay off my phone too late at night. Not very good at that. I'm still working on it. My point is, is that sleep is freaking important. And if you want to lose weight and you want to have a healthy lifestyle over a long period of time, And once you lose the weight, you want to sustain the weight that you've lost, go to sleep and do it in an appropriate way. All right. So I think that's a good place to stop there for sleep. And we could probably talk about that for a while longer, but we still got a couple of other things to cover in terms of importance. So we talked about total calorie intake and we've talked about sleep. Take a quick guess what number three is. I don't think you'll guess this one at all. I don't know. Maybe you've got a... A decent chance of guessing it. I'll give you five more seconds. Weight training. Weight training is number three. Now, not everyone's going to like weight training, and I get that. 
but let me explain to you why it's important for sustainable weight loss. Okay, and then and then you might change your mind, especially if you're somebody who hasn't weight trained ever, and you're wondering why it matters for losing weight. Studies will show that a fourth of the weight that a person loses over the span of time, no matter what span that is, <clears throat> one fourth of the weight that they lose will be muscle mass. So if you lose 100 pounds, you might lose 25 pounds of muscle. It's very possible. I shouldn't even say muscle to be perfectly exact. It could be lean tissue. So some of that could be water. Some of that will be muscle. Some of that won't be the muscle that you see, sort of like the biceps, the triceps, though you know the, the chest muscles, the leg muscles. Some of it might be cardiac muscle. Some muscles that help your, you know, uh, your your body pump blood and, and your organs run and things like that. Okay, I'm not exactly sure because the study didn't mention what type of of muscle mass it is. It just mentioned that it was it was lean mass or skeletal muscle. So, if you lose 100 pounds and 25 pounds of that was muscle, why does that matter? Why is losing muscle matter? Let's think for a moment of all the different types of tissue in your body. Okay, you got, you know, organs, you got your skin, you got your heart, uh, which is an organ. Uh, You've got muscle, you've got fat, you've got water, you've got digested food, you know, um, I mean, I'm probably missing one, you got the, 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 yeah, that's, I mean, let's just leave it at that. Let's keep it simple. I'm sure there's something I'm missing. Which out of those do you feel you actually have control over the size of. You don't have control over the size of your organs. I mean, that's just genetic and based on your height and your weight. I mean, that has, a, that has something to do with it. You have a lot of control over your muscle mass. Well, guess out of all the organs or out of all the tissue in your body, what burns the most calories? Sort of a trick question. It's your organs. Second most is muscle mass. What's the first thing to start to go when you get over the age of 30? If you're paying attention to the last couple podcasts, you'll know the answer to this. Your muscle mass. One of the reasons why it's so hard to lose weight, or harder, I should say, to lose weight after the age of 30, and probably more notably after the age of 40, is because your metabolism has changed a lot since you were in your late teens, early 20s. And a lot of that has to do with being active as a younger person, but also it has to do with your muscle mass. Your fat to muscle mass ratio is starting to to basically reverse. When you're younger, you have more potential to build muscle mass and you'll have a higher metabolism. So in a lot of cases, you won't add as much fat mass onto your body. Not saying it's impossible. I mean, look at all the overweight children that are in the world, as sad as it is, right? It's not a perfect system, but... It's, it is an individual thing. So if you've noticed that as you've gotten older, you've also gotten fatter, it's sort of kind of an evolutionary you know, mechanism. It's kind of just the order of things. The best way to prevent that is by strength training and building and then maintaining the muscle that you build over time. You can build muscle in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. You're not hopeless after the age of 30. It's easier to build muscle in your younger years because... You know, for a guy, you have higher testosterone levels, so it's a lot easier. Women, it's a lot easier because, you know, you you don't have the responsibilities that you have as an older female. 
most 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 typically, right? If you're a f- family woman and you have a family, you have a certain responsibility like your husband and time gets uh, more constrained and you have to commit more time to raising children as opposed to you know taking care of yourself. So all these things play a role in the fact that as you get older, your metabolism changes. Well, if you can lift weights and develop a routine such that when you've built the muscle, you can also maintain it, you're not only going to have a higher quality of life, but you're going to have a much easier time maintaining your weight than you were if you were to just, you know, simply eat a certain amount of calories all the time. Okay. Now I want to keep in mind that you don't have to be this like super muscle bound person in your later years uh, in order to reap the benefits of a strong metabolism. You can just be leaner and have muscle definition and that will help you and help your metabolism, help you keep the weight off as you get older. Okay, so so weight training is important for that reason in terms of weight loss and metabolism and managing your weight as you get older because things are not working in your favor to be lean as you get older. In fact, your body is sort of naturally taking the course of being fatter. So unless you manipulate your lean mass to your fat mass, you're going to have a very hard time maintaining a lean and healthy body or at the very least a healthy body, right? You don't have to be, you know, superwoman or superman, but you have to be healthy in order to have a higher quality of life and weight training can help you with that. And I also want you to know that you don't have to lift the heaviest freaking thing in the gym. It's not like you have to do heavy squats that hurt your back. I mean, heavy squats shouldn't hurt your back if you're doing them right. But my point is, is it's not like you have to go in the gym and lift like you're 20. It just means you have to get under some weight and you have to lift that weight in an appropriate way to challenge your muscles to grow or to stay around, right? It would be like if you had a friend. I don't know if you guys ever played The Sims, the computer game. But in the computer game, The Sims, if you didn't talk to your friend, the people that were around you, they didn't bother coming by your house and saying hi. Well, the same kind of works with muscle mass. If you don't train your muscles and you don't give them a reason to grow or at least stay around, they deteriorate. And that's because from an evolutionary standpoint, your muscle mass is sort of a luxury at a certain point. I mean, obviously you want some muscle mass and your body knows that it's important to have some muscle mass to take care of certain things to help you survive. But any extra muscle mass on your body gets used when you're in a calorie deficit or when you're in a caloric um, deficit, when you're eating less calories than you burn. Now, if you mitigate that with some of the things that we'll talk about later, it's easier to keep muscle around. Weightlifting is one of those two things. So weightlifting is extremely important for weight loss because it helps change your body composition. And we've talked about body composition in past episodes. You know, I've, I've talked about too where you can see if I was to show you a picture of two different um, bodies. So one body that had more muscle mass and less fat and one body that had more fat and less muscle, you'd think that they weighed different weights, right? You'd think that they would be a different weight. Like the leaner person would weigh less and the fatter person would weigh more. Well, there's actually, if you go online, I don't know exactly what I typed to find this, but there was a person who compiled all this in a blog post and they showed that, and I think it was the same person and they changed their body composition, that the leaner person weighed 180 pounds and the fatter person weighed 180 pounds. 
So they weighed the same, but dramatically different body compositions. One person had more muscle and less fat. The other person had more fat and less muscle, but they weighed the same. It's another reason why I don't consider your weight an important metric within certain confounds. If you're extremely overweight or if you're extremely underweight, yes, it matters. But on average, if you're an average weight within the ranges of an average weight for your height, then what you weigh doesn't matter because your body composition is what determines your health and probably also how confident you are in your body, right? And I'm not saying you have to have a six pack to be confident in your body. There's plenty of people that have six packs and are still self-conscious. I'm, I'm one of them. In fact, I've gotten so lean. I've got the leanest I've ever gotten was not the happiest I've ever been. It was damn cool to walk around and be that lean, but my life took a lot of responsibility when it came to my food and my exercise. It's a big commitment to be very, very lean. And I wasn't, I wasn't willing over time to be that lean and sacrifice everything that I was sacrificing because my quality of life went down. Okay, I don't mean to go too much on a tangent. I just want to kind of make that point. So weight training should be an important part of your lifelong exercise routine. And again, I'm not saying you have to go in the gym and do the heaviest weight you've ever done in your life, but weights have to be an important part and they have to be programmed the right way. And if you don't have access to a gym, like most of us don't right now, because we're still in this whole quarantine thing, you can still do things like body weight exercises and manipulate those workouts to help you maintain or possibly build, depending on what stage you're in, muscle mass. So anyway, if you haven't yet gotten a routine of lifting weights in the gym, then I would highly recommend you start working on a plan to start doing that. And if obviously you can't use a gym right now, then finding a home workout or buying home workout equipment that doesn't cost a whole lot of money and doesn't take up a lot of space, if you can just manage that for right now and then when things start to clear up, go back into a gym or go into a gym for the first time and start using the machines and then start using the free weights, you will exponentially make your sustainable weight loss a whole lot easier. And that goes back to the first point, which I'll reiterate. If you lose 100 pounds and you don't prioritize keeping muscle in your body, 25 of those pounds is going to be muscle, which is only going to make things harder for you to not only sustain your weight, but lose weight into the future. Okay. All right. So that sort of brings us to our next point that sort of in a way goes hand in hand with weight training. And that's number four, which is protein intake. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that one, there's two things that help prevent muscle loss, weight training. And the second one is protein intake. Okay. If you're not feeding your body protein, it's going to use the protein on your body for energy. If you're in a severe enough calorie deficit. Okay. There's, there's a lot kind of a stipulation there, but protein isn't just for building lean muscle or maintaining lean muscle. It's all also extremely useful for satiety, so eating less calories than you burn. So on the nutrition end of things, so we've, we've established that protein is important for keeping or building muscle. That's pretty well known. And if you didn't know that before, now you know. But it's also very important and very useful for maintaining calorie intake at a lower amount. Okay, If you were to eat... 400 calories at breakfast, and virtually none of that was a dedicated source of protein. And let's say also, just for the sake of making this more accurate, there wasn't a lot of fiber there either. 
the likelihood that you'll be hungry soon after breakfast goes up tremendously. And that's not a terrible thing if you're able to sort of fight through your hunger till the next meal and then have a normal average calorie meal and then move on from there. But my experience as a coach has shown that hunger is a very, very difficult hormone because it is a hormone to ignore. All right. It's one of those things where our body and our brain and our our entire system has prioritized making sure that we always prioritize calories or food. And if our body gets a sense that we're eating less calories, we're getting less nutrition, less food than we normally do, it's going to scream at you to eat. And it's going to do that by upregulating the amount, upregulating the amount of hunger hormone, also known as ghrelin, that, that your brain gets as a signal. So if you're the kind of person who gets snacky or snackish or peckish even between meals or is having a second dinner, a lot of times that's because your nutrition on the whole isn't satiating enough, isn't filling enough, doesn't give you what you need. And not all the time, but a lot of the time when I look at my client's nutrition, so for instance, I was talking about how I make sure they understand their total calorie intake is important. After that, one of the first things that I do is say, okay, now that you've been eating under the calorie amount that we've been working on and you've been doing so and you've been losing body fat, you've noticed that your pants are fitting better and all this really positive stuff. Now that you've gotten that that down and it's sort of already on autopilot, now I'm going to ask you a very important question. And I ask this to every client. Are you hungry after you eat? Like after you have breakfast, are you hungry one to two hours afterwards? Are you noticing that you're hungry between normal meal times for you? If the answer is no, then I don't really worry too much about it at that point. Okay. I still, it's still in the back of my mind, but I'm not as concerned. If they answer yes, I'm hungry, you know, pretty significantly. And I'll use a scale system to help determine just how intense that hunger is. If it's usually anything, if it's a a seven or above on a scale of one to 10, then we automatically start injecting more protein at major meals, all right? And if this person is having a snack, we also try to find ways to include more protein at snacks, but primarily at meals first, because again, it's about managing one improvement at a time. So when I do that, I'll use that scale system again, and typically it's a five or below, which to me means they're, they're full enough to get to their next meal without having to consistently fight hunger. And the reason why it's important not to try to fight hunger 24-7, because you're going to be a little bit hungry when you're losing weight, right? But it has to be manageable. If it's always super intense, you're going to very easily get stuck in a binge eating or possibly just a overeating cycle, okay? And there's lots of things that affect that, but I'm just saying this is one way. If you're constantly trying to manage your hunger, a really intense amount of hunger, you're going to be draining a tremendous amount of willpower, And again, just based on experience, most people that I work with do not have an endless amount of willpower. They give a lot of their willpower to taking care of their kids, working a job that's very mentally and or physically demanding. And so they use their willpower for that. By the time they get to the end of the day, and this is this is my second theory as to why we all have, not we all, but a lot of us have a tendency to overeat at night is because at night we've drained all of our willpower. 
the amount of willpower we have to resist those snacks that are in our pantry that we've been thinking about or looking at or possibly being next to, like, it, you know, because we're all at home 24-7 pretty much now, and our willpower is gone. So the defense against the things that are very easy to overeat goes down. And so the likelihood of overeating those goes up tremendously. If we're trying to control that with nutrition, the stronger our nutrition is, at least out of what we can control, right? Because, I mean, there could be things like stress that could, that could affect um, overeating or, or eating uh, more than a portion's amount of highly processed junk foods. If we can control our appetite through food and through the co combination, the portions of the right foods that help with that, then we can fight against things like overeating. Again, I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but it definitely makes a big difference when you control for the nutritious types of food you're consuming. When you're eating a high-fiber, high-protein diet, or even just a high-protein, moderate-fiber diet, or a moderate-protein, moderate-fiber diet. I mean, it depends on where you're at and what you're trying to achieve. But if you can at least get more fiber and more protein, you're going to make losing weight not only easier in the, in, the, in the beginning, but easier for the rest of your life, so long as you commit to making sure that your meals, the majority of your meals, have protein and fiber in them, okay? Now, I didn't mention fiber here because I wanted to make a list that had five things, and we're already at minute 50, and I still got to cover our last thing, but fiber and protein are probably the two most essential um, nutrients, in my opinion, Okay? Because they have the biggest bang for their buck, for a buck, meaning that you can get one of the biggest outcomes, positive outcomes, from the least amount of effort. And that's what I'm always trying to do as a coach is I'm trying to give somebody something that's really easy to do that has a huge impact, not only on their weight, but their health, and their quality of life when it comes to sustaining their weight and their health. Okay, so protein intake is number four. Now. I probably kind of gone on about protein a little bit longer, but I got essentially 10 minutes to go over number five, okay? Number five is neat. It's really cool. And I just dropped a hint to you if you've been paying attention. So NEAT is an acronym for non-exercise activity thermogenesis, okay? Now, I also have a slash purposeful activity here for number five, okay? So I don't want you to think that it's just NEAT. But neat and purposeful exercise are the fifth most important thing. I shouldn't say in that priority list because remember, it's, it's a dynamic process. I think everyone sort of goes about this in a different way, and I, I never make somebody follow a linear path. I think that it, it's the path of least resistance that's most important. So this the order of things can definitely be jiggled around or juggled around. Jiggled is not the right word. That, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean. So non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Let's quickly define that. That is essentially the movement that you carry out just doing things in your everyday life, okay? So again, getting up uh, out of bed, walking to the bathroom, that takes calories, right? Walking, standing upright takes calories. Um, watering your lawn, gardening in the backyard, uh, taking, no, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't be, that would be exercise. So walking outside on purpose, you know, as a form of exercise would be, would be outside of non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Fidgeting would be non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Walking from your car to the grocery store would be burning calories, but not, you know, actively trying to, to exercise. So those things matter because if you sit on the couch all day long, 
you're not burning any calories throughout the day. You're just burning what it takes to keep you on the couch. Okay. So how do you improve that? Well, it's kind of a tricky system, but if you undereat calories too dramatically, if your calorie intake gets way too low, unreasonably low, at least for the clientele that I would work with, and this typically happens in people who do not understand how far they need to cut calories, your body doesn't just it doesn't just change its metabolism with everything else staying the same. When your metabolism changes, so does your output. So this is most common in uh, figure competitors or um, bodybuilders, where towards the end of their dieting cycle, when they've been dieting for a really long time, and their metabolism is much slower than it was in the past, and they're eating fewer calories, you know, that's why their metabolism is, is so much lower, they still exercise because they have to, but little things like leaning against the wall instead of standing upright. Or, like I remember an example from Lane Norton, his uh, girlfriend at the time used to hoard as many drinks as she could upstairs because she had an upstairs office. So she wouldn't have to come downstairs and get drinks, whatever that was. I don't know what she was drinking, probably water, but she would hoard water water bottles. And she was doing this sort of subconsciously. It wasn't until he noticed her doing it that he pointed it out. But our bodies have this compensatory uh, reaction to if we are getting less calories in, then our body automatically adjusts by putting less calories out, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And I would argue that it's mostly subconscious. Like I've noticed when I diet, I talk a lot slower. I have a lot less energy. All right. I behave differently, especially in the amount of effort I'm willing to give towards something because of the amount of calories I'm consuming or the deficit that I'm in. So I sort of went on a tangent there. My point is, is that non-exercise activity thermogenesis is extremely important. Another way of thinking about this is your steps per day. Okay. Now the goal, if you go online at most internet websites will give you is 10,000 steps a day. And I think that's great. But if you're someone who's at 4,000 steps, that's more than half the steps you need to improve upon in order to be considered sort of average or a good amount. That's not the best way to look at it, right? If you're at the bottom of a mountain, it's not, it's not worth looking at the top of a mountain going, oh man, I'm not there yet. Of course not. You got to take a couple of steps before you get there, right? So I want you to view it the same way. If your step count is, let's say 4,000, the best thing for you to do is to shoot for something slightly above that four to six. And once you've made a commitment to making that happen, shoot for seven to eight until you eventually climb to 10. And 10 is going to take a, a lot of commitment. You're going to have to change a lot of things about your lifestyle. You're going to have to make it a mandatory commitment to find some ways to get those steps, whether it's an early walk every single morning or walking multiple times a day or you know choosing to do things that are more active as opposed to things that are less active, even when you don't want to do the thing that's more active, right? Now, exercise obviously plays a role in this as well. It's why I've kind of put it as a one-two punch. An exercise routine is very important. And where you start with that exercise routine is probably the most important part. I talked about in the last episode, in fact, about making sure that you understand what an effective workout is. 
when I work with clients, I don't worry about the intensity of the workout right away. I mean, it plays a role, obviously. It has to. But the thing that's the most important thing for me is if they're consistent or not. And if a client, if I, if I create a workout program for a client and they're not consistent, I ask them a series of questions. One of the main questions that I ask them is, do you feel like this workout is too challenging for you? Do you feel like it's too hard for you to do? And sometimes there's a bit of an ego to get past. Oh, no, I can do it. I just, you know, yeah, it's hard, but, uh, you know, I, I just got to do it. It's like, okay, I, I like that attitude. I like the fact that you're, ex- that you're motivated to get it done. But I need you to take your ego out of the way for a second. I like what it's doing for your consistency in the sense that you're, you're going to push through the difficulty. But I also need you to understand that you're only getting two workouts in a week. And you have the availability to do four workouts a week. That's what we talked about beforehand. So why are you missing the other two workouts? Oh, well, you know, this thing and that thing. Excuse, excuse, excuse. No. No. There's, there's no excuses. Okay? You do the workout or you be honest with me and tell me, hey, these are too challenging for me right now. Okay, if you can't be honest with me, if you can't be honest with yourself and look at the objective facts, instead of either coming up with excuses or not doing the work, I'm sorry, but you're never going to get anywhere with that attitude and you're never going to get anywhere with that approach, even if your intentions are always to get it done. So what I make sure that I do with my clients is that if the workout that I originally prescribe, and I've learned over the years, because at first I would just sort of wing it, right? Because I didn't have any experience. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was experimenting. And what I've decided to do as of about a year ago is I get a basic understanding of what they can do. And then I say, let's create a workout that's actually like you would rate it as easy. And in fact, I'll have clients tell me, oh, that was an easy workout. Perfect. Now do it four times this week. If you can prove to me that you can do this so-called easy workout four times this week, then great. We'll move it up. We'll set something that's more challenging for you. But a single workout being easy and getting four workouts done in a week are two very different things. I don't care how hard or how easy an individual workout is. It's the least of my concerns. What I want to know is, are you consistently able to do this workout, recover enough from a single workout to then do a future workout? If the answer is yes, then great. When the appropriate time comes, we'll set up a new challenge for you. Okay, but consistency, like calorie intake, for our example here, consistency is the most important factor when it comes to exercise. And it's the most important factor with everything. But since we're talking about exercise right now, it's the most important factor with exercise. I much rather have a person do a very easy workout more consistently so I'd rather have a person, like here, we'll give some concrete examples. I'd rather have a client walk seven days a week than do the hardest workout they can once a week. You don't, you don't build sustainability and consistency with one hard workout a week. In fact, if anything, you shoot yourself in the foot when it comes to doing one hard workout a week. And I've seen this happen to people. I've seen it to happen to people around me. Oh, I'm going to start working out again. Awesome. That's great. What are you going to do? 
well, I found this workout online. I'm going to do that. That's awesome. Check in four weeks later. Hey, how's that workout program going? I only did two of the workouts and I stopped. Why'd you stop? I just, I couldn't do them. They're just too hard. Okay. So did you think to do something a little less hard? No, I just kind of gave up. So you can see how the difficulty of an exercise can be very, you know, not intimidating, but it can be very discouraging because you, you oftentimes take it personally, like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm so out of shape that I can't do this one workout. No, that workout's really hard, first and foremost. Like, by, by a trainer's standards, that's hard. And you did it at least once, which is amazing. <clears throat> so, again, it's, it's looking at the positive in things. But, again, sometimes you have to take a step back and objectively go, you know what? That's way too freaking hard for me. And as much as I wish I was in better shape, I'm not. And if I want to get in better shape, I have to be consistent. And in order to be consistent, I have to do workouts that are challenging, but also, you know, something I can accomplish. Because if I don't accomplish it, I won't want to do it again. All right. So again, that's where the psychology always kind of plays an underlying factor in all of this. And it's an important part to always consider when it comes to habits and when it comes to consistency is psychology. How things affect your psychology change your behavior. Okay. So, we, this is the first episode that's ever gone over an hour. So I have to say, I'm sort of proud of that. I'll try not to make it a habit. I do enjoy the fact that they are around 45 minutes to an hour because you can listen to them, you know, in one or two, uh, you know, sessions makes it a little bit easier to, to listen to more content. And I, I, that's my priority for my podcast. Um, so I'll go ahead and wrap things up there. As always, thanks for listening to this podcast and thanks for listening to any of the episodes that I put on this podcast. If you have been listening for a while and you'd like to leave a review, you could even leave a comment. Please do so in the Apple iTunes store or wherever you're listening. I would tremendously appreciate it. If you've been thinking, wow, this is a great podcast. I'm really enjoying it. I wish there was a way I could give back. If you wrote a comment or you gave a rating to the podcast, that's the best way to do it. Okay, because the more ratings that I get and the more comments that I get about the podcast, the more Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening wants to push it out to more people. So it's kind of a way of spreading the news without having to, you know, do any self-promoting or doing any promotion on your part. You know, you might share this on your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever it might be. And I would highly appreciate that. But if you want to just take that first step, rating the podcast, leaving a comment would mean a mean the world to me. Okay. So um, thanks again for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you later.